Remain standing for the reading of Scripture this morning, which we'll find in 1 Peter chapter 1, our morning Scripture, verses 1 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 1, let us hear and attend to the reading of God's Word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory." receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. And we'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. Please be seated. As Christmas approaches each year, do your expectations grow with anticipation? Uh, you are no doubt aware of the countdown, are you not? As a matter of fact, uh, you know that uh, the day after Christmas, somebody will start the countdown for Christmas 2018. But what about your own expectations and your own expectation? Does that grow and increase as the, the day gets closer? Do you think about Christmas differently over the years at different ages and stages in your life? It's my hope this morning that our Christian faith enlivened by the regular means of grace and worship of the Holy Trinity, will transcend the cultural celebrations. And by transcending, I mean go beyond all the trappings that we uh, find ourselves uh, connected with, and that we are gathered here this morning for a better Christian longing. Uh, Sometimes uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas falls on a Sunday, uh, as it does this year. And I'm glad that you are here that you have come out to the public worship of God, even on this Christmas Eve. And though we rejoice and celebrate and can have much enjoyment with Christmas in terms of cultural celebrations and family get-togethers, I don't want us to lose what is more important. And that is the better Christian longing and what Christmas really is about. It's the better Christian longing that we have. You might remember C.S. Lewis' stories about Narnia that uh, he described Narnia as always winter, but never Christmas. And this was a creative uh, phrase that uh, Lewis used describing the land of Narnia under the spell and the cold clutches of the white witch. And he wasn't really describing the climate of Narnia at that time. 
He was describing Narnia in a time of bleakness, of souls, without hope. The winter of the soul. It was always winter, but not Christmas, because they were in such bleakness and despair under the spell of the White Witch. And that's really what I think we need to look at in terms of this hopelessness that people have. I think that that's a telling description of the disappointments that many folks struggle with or the pressures of a secular and cultural expectations about Christmas. I don't know, maybe you even feel tinged by that. Disappointments. What happens the day after Christmas? Is there a great buildup and then a letdown? Are there disappointments? Is there hope in your soul that goes beyond all the hype and the expectations or the changing experiences that you've had over the years of Christmas? Do you have that well-founded hope that buoys you up, that goes beyond the disappointments of this world and even of the season? Because Christmas is more than anything else about eternal hope. If we really understand Christmas aright, if we really look and focus on what it means that Christ is uh, the center of Christmas and that hope is an eternal hope that we have and that we don't get lost in the false expectations and the, uh, the cultural hype that is often pressed upon us. That's why we've turned to 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. I know this is not a traditional text for Christmas, but I hope to show you this morning that there's a connection between the Christmas story and the better Christian longing. So that's what we're looking at, looking at at the expectations that will not be disappointed, our expectations that are found in Christ, unwrapped in the better Christian longing. And so we'll look at the parallels this morning, and one of the things that we're going to do this morning as well, which is a little different than our normal uh, worship service and our normal uh, preaching, is that we're going to sing as responses at different junctures uh, in the sermon this morning, uh, a little bit like lessons and carols, not quite as extensive as that. But nonetheless, on that pattern, and I hope that you'll find it rewarding and encouraging for you this morning. So we look at uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. Christian faith provides God's grace and peace through changes in life in this world, the changes of life in this world. Look at what Peter writes. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims, to the sojourners of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethania, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So here, our Christian faith provides God's grace and peace. Though we are in the midst of a changing world, our life is always changing. And we know, we look around us, I I can certainly mark over the years of my own experience in life. And no matter how old you are, you can too. As we look at the Christmas story, the Christmas story was about sojourners and pilgrims. We start out and we know the familiar image of Joseph and Mary, Mary expecting a baby. Oftentimes we see her depicted as on a burrow or on a colt of a donkey. And Joseph is leading her because they were displaced. They had to journey to Bethlehem because of the Roman decree and the census. It was inconvenient. Any day, Mary was going to give birth. Uh, You uh, mothers who have uh, gone through pregnancy can experience and recognize what, what, if in that um, few last few uh, weeks of pregnancy, you were told you had to get up and and move somewhere. Uh, So we know that image. We know that part of the story. We know that they had to travel to Bethlehem. They were pilgrims. They were sojourners. You may remember as well, they also had to pick up and leave and travel to Egypt. 
somewhere within a couple of years after Jesus was born because of Herod's murderous plot in the attempt to try to destroy the king of the Jews as he had been uh, as had been prophesied and had been reported to him that it was fulfilled. So we, we find them having to pick up and leave and go down into Egypt as well. So the Christmas story is a story about pilgrims and about sojourners. And not only that, uh, really more than that, uh, overarching it all, of course, is the Son of God who comes into the world. The only begotten Son of God in that wonderful, fabulous mystery of the Holy Trinity, the eternally begotten One, the Son of God, comes into this world. He comes into union with the human nature of the man Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary and the miracle of the Incarnation. He too is a sojourner. He left the, the glories of heaven that we can not even fully grasp. We only have inklings given to us of the glories of, of Christ in heaven, the eternal Son of God. And He left and set those aside, all His glories. Not He never stopped being divine. But He set aside the prerogatives of His glory. And He sojourned into this world, into this fallen world, as a Savior for you and me, that He might return to the, His glories in heaven, preparing Christian believers, a home having obtained eternal salvation for us. That's what Peter is celebrating and rejoicing about here in the opening of his letter. That Christ came. He sojourned. He was a pilgrim. He didn't come here permanently. It was not his intent or his purpose. But his intent and purpose and that which he has fulfilled and now which he is about. And we even heard this morning, reminded of those who have gone on before us. They have gone on to be with Jesus in heaven. He has gone to prepare a place for them. He gave us that promise for all Christian believers having obtained eternal salvation for us. And that connects with us. I hope it connects with us this morning in terms of our Christian longing. As Christian believers, we are pilgrims. We are sojourners in this fallen world, but we are not homeless. Why do you think we don't become comfortable in this world? It's not God's purpose that we should become too comfortable in this world. Don't listen to the false voices of this world. This is not our home. We are passing through. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims. We are salvation pilgrims. And our home is in heaven. We are not homeless. Paul, uh, uh, Peter writes here of the dispersion of those Christian believers who were dispersed. They were scattered. Perhaps it was by Roman decree or by persecution. But nevertheless, they were not at home in this world as we are not at home in this world. We're looking for a place over time. And that place is heaven. The Holy Trinity assures believers of God's sufficient grace and peace that increases for us. Look at verse 2. And I want you to note the reference to the Holy Trinity in verse 2. We who are the called and elect according to God and the heirs of salvation, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, what God has planned in His eternal decree, in sanctification of the Spirit and of obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, Spirit, and Son. Referenced in our salvation of the Holy Trinity. Grace and peace be multiplied to us. Here's the greatest of anticipation and gifts. The gifts that come from the Holy Spirit of God. As they were bought by the Lord Jesus through His sacrifice for us. And what He lavishes upon us that pleases God the Father from His eternal decree. This is where we don't get confused about good works. There are no good works to save us, but rather we are saved unto good works. Because we have been saved, the Holy Spirit of God working in us the works which God has before planned, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. 
And so we are living in that wonder of the the increasing grace and peace that comes from the wonderful mystery of God, the Holy Trinity. And as I said, this morning we're going to respond to various portions of the Word of God. And so I want you to take your hymnal and and turn to hymn number 208 as we respond to this promise that we are not homeless, that we are journeying through this world with changes in our life, but we are not homeless, that we have a promised home in heaven. We're going to turn to hymn number 208. You may remain seated as we sing, O Come All Ye Faithful. Oh, come let us adore Him. 
look at verses 3 through 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1. The Christian new birth witnesses to eternal salvation as the living hope by the mercy of God and the guarded, that is the kept by the power of God beyond this world, the promise that we have. Look at verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, for an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So this Christian new birth witnesses to eternal salvation as a living hope by the mercy of God. And it's guarded, it's kept. (coughs) Excuse me by the power of God beyond this world. It is, it goes into the next world. It carries us into the other world, into an eternal existence. And this is what I want to press upon you this morning. Don't miss this. You are going to live somewhere forever. Do you have that eternal living hope? Does it keep your soul? Are you trusting and waiting on the promise of God that is beyond this world? In the Christmas story, we see this witness to us. Jesus Christ was born. He was begotten. He came from the other world. We know that this eternally begotten, even as we just sang about it, is a supernatural work of God. Uh, He is not human. The second person of the Holy Trinity is God. He's the eternally begotten Son of God. And we are told that we must be born again. We must be begotten We must be born of God in a supernatural act. Uh, We know that the Lord Jesus did not have a human father. That's why the doctrine of the virgin birth is so important. Please don't misunderstand that. It's about the fact that Jesus had no sin nature from Adam. He did not have an Adamic father. He did not have a human father that descended from Adam. All humans who have descended from Adam and Eve have a sin nature. We're born in sin. But Jesus was not born like us. He was born differently. He had a true human nature from Mary, but he did not have a a, a sin nature from Adam or an Adamic earthly father. It's so important to us to know that Jesus was uncorrupted in his body and soul. He was without sin that he might be the eternal sin substitute for us. He might bear away our sins in eternal judgment. 
How did he do that? Because being God, he's equal to God. Being human, he's able to substitute for humans. What no sheep or lamb or goat or bull or any animal sacrifice could ever do. And then we read that, of course, there was no reservation for Joseph and Mary where Jesus was born when they got to Bethlehem. Uh, The inn was full. The houses were full. Uh, And we don't need to try to add to that some kind of uh, disregard or some kind of unkindness. We don't know. But perhaps that the innkeeper was as kind as he could be in providing them a place in the stable. But, of course, indicating to us that there was no reservation in this life for the, the Son of God who came, the King of glory who came into this world. Even though there had been revelations and um, uh, demonstrations to even the shepherds and to the wise men and to others that he was the king in the broad world around, he was unrecognized. In our world today, broadly, he is unrecognized. But he is the king of glory. He came with no reservation in this world. And throughout his life, he lived without comforts. He did not give in to the passing pleasures and fashions of the world. Because this was not his home. This is not where he intended to stay. He is renovating. He is changing. He, he will restore to a greater glory all the creation of God. But for now, he came with no reservation. And at his birth, he was revealed to be the Christ for the first time and for many times throughout his life. But especially by his resurrection from the dead. You know that there were uh, revelations from the angelic visitations to a uh, uh, few people, even to the obscure shepherds and to the, the mystery of the Magi and those uh, who, whom the Lord was we, uh, used to reveal and to make known that Christ had been born. And then throughout his life, he testified to that. We have the record that remains to, to this day. But still, he is obscured in the world and ignored and despised and hated. But through his resurrection, he reveals the power of God that he came to do what he was sent to accomplish. That revelation is the greatest revelation, the revelation of our salvation. That's where the Christmas story, I think, gives us a better Christian hope. Christian believers longing for a heavenly home. It's identified as a living hope. And an incorruptible inheritance. That's what what, uh, Peter writes about here in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so all who are adopted into the family of God must be through a new and living hope by being born again. That's what the scriptures tell us. It's a supernatural birth. Remember what Jesus described and and told Nicodemus. You can't go back and be born physically again. No, that's not what the scriptures are telling us about. But a spiritual birth. To be born from above. To be born again with a living hope. Have you been born again with a living hope? Are you here this morning? Your faith in Christ as a living hope that goes beyond this world and beyond this life. It is an incorruptible inheritance. The fact that Jesus had no sin. He was uncorrupted. He promises and gives us through this great salvation, this great gift of salvation, an incorruptible inheritance. Nothing can corrupt it. Nothing can rot it. Nothing can destroy it. And that is promised to us by the incorruptible word of God. And so we can rejoice that we have been born again into a new life, a new family, and the promise 
of that uh, uncorrupted inheritance. One of the things, I've told you this before, that I think is one of the greatest challenges for our Christian faith is that we deal with remaining corruption. As we have that uh, call to confession of faith, uh, a confession of sin in our uh, worship service publicly, and I tell you, that's to carry with you into your private lives of devotion. We need to seek and ask the Lord's forgiveness, don't we? Because sin is real. Remaining corruption is is a real uh, struggle, a real fight, a real battle that we have in our life, in our Christian life. We can't play around with sin. It's real. It's remaining corruption. The power of sin has been broken. But that remaining corruption, we're waiting and looking for and have the promise that it too will be eradicated. One day, that will all be gone. In the fullness of our salvation, in the resurrection of our bodies, we, like the promise of Christ, will be free of all the taint of original corruption and sin. We long for that. Until that time, we struggle with it. We've been born again, but we fight against the flesh. But we have an incorruptible inheritance that's held out for us and the promise that we have from Christ and His salvation. That's why we have a a Christian longing that's better than anything the world can offer. And it's my prayer and my hope that you have that Christian longing, that that, um, living hope for that incorruptible inheritance as you're here this morning. And I want us to sing in response to that uh, hymn number 203, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, 203. the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled joyful all ye nations rise join the triumph of the skies with the angelic host proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold Him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, 
hailed incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness, life and light to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. As we said, the Christian new birth witnesses to eternal salvation as a living hope by the mercies of God, and it's guarded, it's kept by the power of God beyond this world. And that's what we look at in verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Believes, uh, believers, Christian believers, have a perpetual reservation, a having been kept place in heaven. We talked about the fact that there was no reservation for the Son of God who came into this world. But now he tells us that he's gone to prepare a place for us, an incorruptible and undefiled inheritance, and it is reserved. And the power of, of this scripture and the force of, of the text says it's a perpetual reservation. It's a having been kept place in heaven. It never gets filled up. Nobody ever takes our place apart from the false teachings of false cults who tell us we've got to gain somebody else's place or knock somebody else out in order to get in. No, we have a perpetual reservation, a having been kept place because it's reserved for us by the decree of God and by the accomplishment of the Son of God and is testified by His resurrection. He's gone to prepare a place for us. So there is no lining up at the pearly gates to see who might be let in, like lining up at a popular nightclub. You've seen that, haven't you? Even in Christmas movies I've looked at and so forth. Uh, here is a common misconception that is often uh, displayed for us that heaven and the pearly gates are like lining up at a nightclub or lining up at a, at a movie or, or a concert or something, waiting to get in. And uh, whether your ticket will be valid, whether you'll have a place. And the Lord tells us that's not the way heaven is. And we need to look to the surety of our souls. You're going to live somewhere forever. Do you have a perpetual reservation in heaven? Do you have a place being kept for you by the promise of the Son of God? Because your faith is in Him. You have believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that He indeed has been risen from the dead. He's gone to heaven and He has made a place for you and reserved there that place. Look at verse 5. Heaven is a, a gated community of faith. For those who are guarded by the power of God through faith for salvation. Look at verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So this perpetual, rever uh, um, perpetual reservation 
that is in heaven for those who believe, for Christian believers. It's guarded and it's kept by the power of God. That's how sure your salvation is. Do you think your salvation depends upon you? There are all kinds of false teachings about salvation that somehow we have to cooperate with God and add to what Jesus has done. Others say that once you're saved, then you've got to keep yourself saved. Jesus saved you, but then you've got to keep yourself saved. And I've told you, those are all false teachings. Here we have very clearly stated to us from Scripture that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for those who believe. He's given us His promise that He has a, a perpetual reservation for us and that we are kept by nothing less than the power of God. You think God is powerful in creation? Oh, look at how we are subject and how small we are compared to the wonders of God's creation. Last week, we saw Jesus quieting the winds and the storm as the Creator. He has power over creation. We don't have power over creation. We don't have power over the mighty winds that blow if a a big tornado blows up or if a little spider bites us or if we have an unseen viral or bacteria infection. You think you can keep your own soul for salvation? No, Scripture says God keeps it by His power. He keeps your soul for salvation. That should rejoice us. That gives us the Christian hope that is beyond this world because you're going to live somewhere forever. And he tells us that this is an apocalyptic eschatology. Wow, isn't that an impressive? That's my wow factor for this morning. It's an apocalyptic eschatology. What does that mean? You know, the word apocalypse has been so abused. You know what that Greek word, it comes from the Greek word that means revealing. To be revealed, to be made known. And eschatology means the, the study of last things. And what does he tell us here? Look again at verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be apocalyptic, ready to be revealed in the eschatology, in the last time. Don't get disturbed by that. I'm afraid that has been so sensationalized that it bears no resemblance to what Scripture says. People have falsely taught this and and made things up with man's imagination. And it's like a Hollywood disaster movie. And they're teaching, you know, the end times. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says here that we have a revealed witness to what the end will be. It is the final phase from the coming of Christ, His first advent that we're celebrating, we're rejoicing about Jesus' first advent coming as our Savior into this world, as a sojourner, passing through, preparing for us a place in heaven, a hope beyond this world. And we're told that that was the beginning It was the end of the Old Covenant, the last days of the Old Covenant, and the beginning of the New Covenant of the final phase. We're living in the final phase, waiting for Jesus' second coming, waiting for the second advent. From the first advent to the second advent is the final phase. It used to even be reflected in uh, in history and in dating uh, uh, references. Some of you maybe will refer like uh, or familiar like I was growing up to B.C., Before Christ. Now they call it before the common era. But it was uh, referenced as before Christ came in the first uh, uh, advent. And then A.D., Anno Domini, a Latin phrase that means in the year of our Lord. Since Christ has come, history has changed. The Lord has come. In the year of our Lord, we're continuing to live out. Now what they say is after the common era. But it's not common to me. It's most uncommon that Jesus has come from heaven. And we're living in the year of our Lord In the final phase, will Jesus come before I go to heaven, before I have my reservation kept in heaven? I don't know. I don't worry about that. I know I am kept by the power of God into salvation. And it's being revealed. 
in the final phase, day to day. I look and long for Jesus coming, but I don't spend all these false uh, uh, stories and, and build up these sensational ideas about it. I look to what the scripture says, that we're to witness to the gospel. We're to make known his salvation. We're to display our hope. That's what I'm trying to do this morning. And in our Christian hope, it's better than the false promises of secular or cultural Christmas. We have a living hope. We've been born again. We have an incorruptible inheritance. We have a reserved place in heaven. And we have a revealed promise of the final phase that we are in. And we are waiting for that to be fully manifested as it will most surely be. Do you have faith? Faith now and for the future? Do you have faith in this life and in faith for the life to come? That's, that's the, the better Christian hope that we have. The Christian longing that we have. And so we're able to sing and to reference that uh, even as we turn to hymn number 200. It came upon a midnight clear and I'd ask that you turn to hymn number 200 as we sing together again this morning. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old. From angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men. From heaven's all-gracious King The world in solemn stillness lay To hear the angels sing Still through the cloven skies They come with peaceful wings unfurled and still their heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above its sad and lowly plains they bend on hovering wing, and ever o'er its pebble sounds the blessed angels sing. And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, look now For glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. 
Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. For lo, the days are hastening on by prophet bards foretold. When with the ever-circling years comes round the age of gold, when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling, and the whole world give back the song which now the angels sing. I know that hymn, we, don't, we sing it at Christmas, and oftentimes we don't sing all the stanzas, and particularly the, the concluding stanza there is maybe strange to our ears in, in this climate of uh, what I call prophecy-mongering and uh, sensationalized, uh, what I think is unbiblical eschatology, when it talks about the power of the gospel and the time when there will be an acknowledgement And a witness as the the peace of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. As I said, the final phase and what Jesus has accomplished by the gospel. Now there's been a lot of speculation throughout the ages over what that will look like. And I'm not going to try to speculate for you what that looks like. I'm going to tell you it's the promise of Scripture. It's the promise that Jesus is the Savior of the world. No matter what difficulties we may go through. No matter what hardships we may experience in this life and in our lifetime, even the persecution of our Christian faith. Remember what the Lord Jesus went through. Remember what Scripture tells us. And while we may suffer many things for the cause of the gospel, of this we can be assured of God's eternal promise uh, that's made safe in Jesus Christ, that His salvation is certain. He is the Savior of the world. There is no salvation apart from Him. He is the Prince of Peace. And we do pray and seek and long for His coming. And what that will look like, it is by faith that we hold out hope for. Uh, there is a, a wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis. I, I've got it uh, in your sermon notes this morning if you want to turn there. As I believe it expresses what better gift we could unwrap than this Christmas longing. And, uh, and uh, C.S. Lewis writes about that expectation. It transcends our cultural and our secular uh, kinds of uh, um, celebrations. It goes beyond and looks through the pages of Scripture to hear them whispering to us the anticipation and expectation that we have. I think it was wonderfully captured by Augustine. You may remember what he said. God has made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. This is what C.S. Lewis wrote that I think is the unwrapping of the better gift for us for the uh, the christian longing if we take the imagery of scripture seriously if we believe that god will one day give us the morning star and cause us to put on the splendor of the sun then we may surmise that both the ancient myths and the modern poet poetry so false as history may be very near the truth as prophecy at present we are on the outside of the world the wrong side of the door we discern the freshness and purity of the morning But they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. When human souls have become as perfect in voluntary obedience 
as the incarnate or as the inanimate creation is in its lifeless obedience, then they will put on its glory, or rather the greater glory of which nature is only the first sketch. You see, that's what the Lord Jesus is doing. That's what Paul, Peter is writing about here in this first chapter uh, of, of his first letter. About that living hope that we have. Of that eternal inheritance that is uncorrupted. That is revealed and made known and kept by the power of God. And that we are sojourners in this world because this world is not our home. But we are not homeless. And all the pages of the New Testament, they rustle like leaves when the wind blows them. And from them, we get a a refreshing hope. I hope you have been refreshed this morning. Refreshed in the hope, the living hope, that we are born again to an incorruptible inheritance and a having been kept for us reservation in heaven of God's salvation and that takes us beyond this world and the troubles and the difficulties and the struggles because they're going to come back next week. Though we have joy and and many anticipated uh, celebrations through this time of year. And it's a good thing. I hope you will not go away thinking that I have uh, tried to be um, uh, harsh or unkind about us having good times and celebrations and joyful get-togethers and good food and all these wonderful things that we're to enjoy in this life, but that our hope is beyond that and beyond those things because next week the world is going to come back. Next week we're going to be back at it, at our jobs, at our families, at our schools. We're going to deal with the same people we deal deal with week in and week out. But it's my hope and prayer that you have been refreshed. Refreshed in the hope of Christ and His salvation that is the better Christian longing. And so I'll ask you all to stand together as we sing our concluding hymn this morning. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. The final phase as we look to the promises of the Lord. He's come once, but He's coming again. Hymn number 196. Come, thou